welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Bottle Rocket. Three friends plan to pull off a simple robbery and go on the run. <laughs> yep, that's what happens in this film. This is such a weird movie to watch, having been a fan of Wes Anderson for a while now. Yeah. But never having seen it. Just knowing about it because it was filmed here in Texas and part of it was filmed here in Dallas. So it's it's one of those like, oh, this is from our backyard type of things. But yeah, it just feels weird. I think it's even more odd than watching Boogie Nights because Boogie yes. Nights like feels more like a thesis in some way. Mm-hmm. This movie has almost all of the elements that are known in Wes Anderson films. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't quite feel like a Wes Anderson film doesn't because it's not all there but you can see where this becomes this this becomes this thing that he does all the time this thing and this thing so like you can see it there it's just this is his first this is the first time at bat (laughs) i will say where this movie lacks that all of his future films really then dive into Mm -hmm. is that depth of character and eventually like real underlying tragedy and deep emotions within the characters we have. There are some of those here. Like, don't get me wrong, especially Dignan. There's a lot going on there with that character. Yeah. You don't give a $500 tip to the housekeeper. That's inappropriate. That's inexcusable. That I don't forgive. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? That's what she is. Don't call her the housekeeper. Don't threaten me. That's what she is. She is a housekeeper, right? People are housekeepers. You better watch it, Dignan. You don't don't know what you're talking about right now. Her name's Inez. And my name's Dignan, man. So what? But it's it's never fully fleshed out enough like it would if, you know, he made Bottle Rocket in, I don't know, 2006 after getting done with Life Aquatic. Mm -hmm. This would be a very different movie. And there would be a lot more going on with these characters than there is in in this version. It's like a rough sketch of what his later stuff becomes. Well, yeah, because again, this is his first time out. But you can see where it... He does have a very distinct point of view. Yeah. His writing is trash. (laughs) The writing here is trash. I don't agree. But I also was charmed by it. To me, it was more technique. To me, it was more... I mean, there's some sloppiness in the way it's edited together. There's, it feels a little haphazard. Maybe the writing in terms of story is a little mushy, but I really enjoyed it. None of the film aspect bugged me at all mm. because that's the lear- to me, that's the learning curve. That's true. And film, like, I have to compare it to Clerks. Okay, that has no technical things happening and they're like that's not true it's black and white but it has its technical feet is much less than this film's trying to be but the story's all there you could remake that movie today with that script and it would still work well because the writing is good you can't make this movie again because it would be trash uh it's the nuance of this film which is also like i don't really like rushmore I know why people like Rushmore, and I can watch it and be like, yeah, I get it. But I don't think Rushmore's very good. I have not seen Rushmore since college. And at the time, I 
thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Watching it now, I wonder if I would still enjoy it from a different perspective mm-hmm. or if I would instead be like, nah, this doesn't hold up anymore. That is curious to me. Rushmore is very much style over a little bit of substance, but there's so much going on in Rushmore mm-hmm. and there's not a lot to this story. I mean, part of where I agree with you is there's barely anything happening in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the characters, but barely anything happens. And see, that's where his later works are so good. Yeah. Because even the things happen, it's all about us finding out about who these people are, which is the most interesting thing. I mean, World Tannenbaums, there's, there's wacky things that happen, but it's all about who the fuck are these people? Life Aquatic, it's the same thing. Like, there's some wacky bullshit that's going on here, but it's all about who is this wacky team? What is this nonsense here? Who are these people? Because that's so interesting. I mean, I would still say Royal Tenenbaums, to me, is his best because it, it starts with such wackiness and goes so deep. Well, you're, you're forgetting about Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> well, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox, don't get me wrong, but like in terms of an overall work... I feel like Royal Tannenbaums is the first time we see it all. Yeah. Where we get, not only is this a good, decent, I don't love the story of Royal Tannenbaums, but it's still really good writing. We get the good writing, we get amazing direction, and then the production value, which is definitely where he, he's very clearly nitpicky as fuck about. That's where we saw it. That's where we saw like, oh, this is the complete package when you have money and you have the writing and you you were able to do it all. That's here. Then, you know, Life Aquatic was not surprising in that way. And same thing with Darjeeling. It was just like, okay, you're doing your thing. This is your thing. Like when someone says, I want the Wes Anderson aesthetic, you know exactly what that means. But you would never know that with Rushmore in this movie because it wasn't there yet. Oh, to me, it is in Rushmore, but. There are elements of it in Rushmore, but it is not there yet. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's to do mostly with money, which is totally fair. His aesthetic is expensive. Well, it is. The budget for this movie was $7 million. There's a lot. There's a lot going on here. I mean, they went to a lot of places. Sort of. I mean, they didn't. We, we will get into it because there are a lot of specific locations. But at the end of the day, it's really only two places that they go. And it's various locations all around there. No, oh, yeah, but that, that's expensive. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not cheap. I, I think it is more the actors. And then I think it's also all the details set around those locations. Because you know that he was nitpicky. He has no budget, and yet he's going to be that nitpicky because he has an idea in his mind. Mm-hmm. Even in this movie, which is a rough sketch, you can tell all those little nitpicky visual details he wants to try to to try to show mm-hmm. bob's robe and and the the jacket that anthony wears through the whole movie like the hoodies and stuff all the the colors of the hotel room all of that is so hyper specific to him mm-hmm. so like I, I really think that's there now here's the problem this film grossed $560,069. Okay, so it made no money, which I wouldn't expect it to. It only opened in 49 theaters in the U.S. Yeah. They killed it. Yeah. Which is a shame because this is one of those movies that I could see a lot of people 
them putting it out in more theaters than that, like a couple hundred maybe. And people by word of mouth going, I don't exactly know what I just saw, but this guy's fascinating. Sure. And this movie at least making its money back. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a big mistake on the studio's part for not recognizing, yeah, we might not have the best movie in the world, but we definitely have something interesting. Mm-hmm. Because I will give it to this movie. No, it's not great, but it is fascinating to watch. Yeah. Some of that might be retrospective, but I there's still stuff going on in this movie that was like, this is highly entertaining to me right now. <laughs> At least there's that. It's not a boring movie. It's just not that good. <laughs> it scored the worst test screening in the history of Columbia Pictures. Oh, wow. Which is part of why they tanked it on purpose. But... Of all people, Martin Scorsese named it number seven in his top 10 films of the 1990s. It has to be for the visuals. That doesn't surprise me. No. I don't agree, but I understand why he would say something like that. He's the kind of guy who would be like, this kid doesn't have a story to save his life, but he's got something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but there's something here. Well, let's get into our, our writers. Oh, okay. Because... Unlike Paul Thomas Anderson, Mm -hmm. our guy, Wes, likes to collaborate on his writing projects. So Wes Anderson is our writer for this film. Okay. This is, of course, his feature debut. After this, he writes Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Isle of Dogs. And Mm -hmm. upcoming, he will be creating The French Dispatch. Now. Alongside with him for the first three films is our star, Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. So, Owen only has those three. He has writing credits on Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, and the Royal Tenenbaums. So, that is interesting that Owen is involved with this early work. Well, I know they're best buds. Like, le- well, like this being his first time out, it makes sense that he would work on something with his friend. I mean, I know their story. They were roommates in college. Exactly. At University of Texas. So that's how they met. That's how this started. They noodled on this, this script for a while and said, we can make it happen. We can, we can do this. And so that's why they did it. It was actually, so it's based off of a short film that they made in 1994 okay. with these three stars, a 13 minute black and white film that they showed at the USA Film Festival in Dallas. They got a big positive response at the film festival. So they decided they were going to bring it to Sundance. Okay. At Sundance, screenwriter L.M. Kit Carson, who wrote Paris, Texas, found it interesting enough that he pitched it to Polly Platt, who produced Broadcast News and Say Anything, and James L. Brooks. Mm-hmm. Those two then got it to Columbia and got the backing to turn it from a short into a feature. Okay. So James L. Brooks who we just got done talking about for Terms of Endearment, is responsible for breaking these two and pushing them in. All right. I can see something in that of this is a comedy that we haven't really seen before. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a style of comedy that we haven't seen on film. Mm -hmm. We're like, we're using the inner dialogue of the characters as the comedic beats (laughs) throughout the whole fucking movie. Like, they're just waxing philosophical about how they feel inside. Yeah. And, you know, it's got, it's got all those Wes Andersonisms where, you know, the, the line that kills me is when Dignan runs out and is just like, Anthony! Bob's gone! He stole his car! 
little coward, that son of a bitch. It's just like, what a, what a doofus thing to say. Because he's just a big doofus. Mm-hmm. But he thinks he knows everything. <laughs> what do we think of the writing other than it's crap? I don't find it very compelling. And I feel like the things that are compelling about it are really that it's their first movie. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that's like, that's why I'm watching this. That's why I find this interesting. I don't know. It charmed me. It charmed me a lot. Mm-hmm. Again, I, it's hard for me to know where that's just, I really like Wes Anderson and becomes, I actually enjoy this movie. I, I think broadly, I just, the biggest thing that I do think is really fun in the script is these are three kind of Southern white dudes that are at the head of this movie. And yet I do feel like they all have very specific personalities and very different individual quirks. Mm-hmm. That might be a testament more to the acting than the writing, but there's something about them that, if nothing else, the clear difference between Dignan and Anthony and Bob, even though they're all playing pretty similar guys, yeah. they all have their own quirks that through the whole movie... And this gets really, really exaggerated in a good way in his later movies, where he's like, I'm going to have an ensemble cast of 20, but they're all going to be so specific that you're going to understand each of those characters. Yeah. And, and that's here. It's, it's not quite as solid, but it's here. And I think that's maybe the biggest thing that I do like really enjoy was I was like, I can stick with this movie because at least these three guys are different and interesting. Mm-hmm. Bob playing with the fucking gun the whole time while they're planning the robbery. And I'm waiting for someone to get shot. And instead, he's just being annoying. <laughs> it's just like these are it's those little things that I, I really enjoyed. I get it. I just didn't do it. for me. Yeah, I understand. James L. Brooks insisted that they majorly overhaul the script before they could film it. Okay. It was a short, so yeah, they're going to have to flesh it out some. He flew Wes and Owen first class to L.A. and set them up in an office with $100 a day while they reworked the script. Hmm. Oh, okay. But also so they could be in meeting. Like, you need to be out in L.A. doing this so we can have regular meetings and develop the thing. Because I got sure. $7 million from Columbia riding on this. Yeah. He was a little nervous about those two, especially because neither took notes during meetings with him. That doesn't surprise. <laughs> on the one hand, they might be a little pretentious, but on the other hand, both of these guys are just kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like, lovable, but very weird. Mm-hmm. Owen Wilson had never flown first class in his life, and when he got to the ticket counter, he tried to exchange it to coach to get the difference in cash. Oh, yeah. When the person told him they would just refund it to the credit card of the person who bought the tickets, mm-hmm. Owen decided reluctantly that he would go ahead and fly in first class. Oh, hey, you know, <laughs> gotta hustle. I, I don't have any problem with that. It's like, hey, they're putting out money for shit I don't give a shit about. Give me the money. I, I get it. This is very much like the hustle story of all these other guys. It's just that these two were oddballs. And their movie didn't massively succeed. Like, these two could have been the next Affleck and Damon if the movie had done any good. <laughs> but it didn't. No, I don't think it, it could have. Probably not. Because this writing's not that good. The, the, comparing this writing to Good Will Hunting? hunting yeah. Fuck that, no. <laughs> Even with all that work, Sundance refused the film initially. They had to rewrite and reshoot the entire opening of the film. Which I don't hate. The opening was pretty fun. 
opening was great. And the opening is where I, to me, we see so much of what later becomes standard West stuff. The notebook with all that stuff handwritten so big on that piece, on those pieces of paper. Well, those become, you know, his, um, the slides that we see in all his other shit. Title cards, illustrations, all that. And, and, you, and you know, we get the static shots. We'll, we'll lead that right into our directing, which, of mm-hmm. course, is Wes Anderson. All those movies we talked about that he wrote, he has also directed all of them because we are talking about auteurs today. But it is interesting. He likes to work with other people on the scripts a lot. You know, we've seen some people who they desperately needed somebody to work with them. Yeah. Um, or they needed to not direct. Like it, they, they doing both solo is not okay. We've seen yeah. that a couple times. So I like that, especially since he has such a strong uh, point of view as a director. Mm-hmm. That with the writing, it's kind of like I, I need some other vibes. I need another person uh, to to do this story, and then I know how to how to make it look the way I want it to look. Yeah, exactly. You know, the shot that that really got me, and it's like. It's perfect that it comes at the end of the movie because then it's such a signifier for the rest of his career mm-hmm. is his signature shot, which is the mid-roll slow-mo, where in the middle of the scene, we're moving in normal motion. Then all of a sudden, we, we go to slow motion. Mm-hmm. We like slow everything down. And right at the end, as Dignan walks back into the prison, we get that shot. And it's just like, yep, there he is. That's Wes Anderson, like in a nutshell. And Mm -hmm. every other movie, we're going to see that shot sometimes multiple times. But seeing that in that moment, like that was to me the most beautiful shot in the movie and was also one of those like, wow, this is really cool to see him do that the first time Mm -hmm. and really get it. Yeah. And then also like all the still shots where he hasn't he hasn't quite figured out like he's going to he's going to basically use title cards like he Mm -hmm. does now. But even so, like when we get to the book saying government jobs in 1995, he's still got that aesthetic of he's not going to turn the camera to pan to it. He's just going to cut to a straight image of that and Mm -hmm. then cut back to the scene. And it's all that little stuff that's there. Mm -hmm. It's arguably a much better directed film than it is written, especially because it winds up 90 minutes long. Okay. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but. It doesn't surprise me. (laughs) He's always had the image in his head. It's just getting the story behind He's it. He's an image guy, not a words guy. That's very clear from, from his later work. And it's not uh, to shit on him at all. It's just that's, that's just the way it is. Having more than half the movie go off to this hotel out in the middle of nowhere and then come back <laughs> to the city to do the end of the movie with the robbery. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like that's part of story-wise a drag down for it. Mm-hmm. Like if we stuck more near the motel for a long period of time and then the very end, it's almost like a one year later type thing and all of a sudden it happens in the next 10 minutes. I don't know. There, There's something about the fact that we spend all this time out in the middle of nowhere and then we go back and it doesn't feel like there was a lot of reason for it except for Anthony's relationship. Mm-hmm. which is adorable mm-hmm. and is really nice to see, but it's kind of weird why we go back. Like story-wise, that's a big problem. <laughs> the one big note is that working on this film, he developed a really strong bond with cinematographer Robert D. Yeoman. That relationship was so good that Yeoman has worked on all of his live action projects since. 
okay. That's huge because for what he does, he definitely needs a consistent eye behind the camera. Like, yeah. Some directors can work with different cinematographers and still maybe get the same kind of thing they do. And some just don't care about that. But for him, you've got to have the same guy doing photography. Like just just how consistent all of his stuff is. It's got to be somebody. And, you know, he only has used the same guy for both Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs as well. Mm -hmm. So any of his stop motion stuff, it's going to be the same way. Yeah. Knowing that really makes a ton of sense now. Yeah. Well, let's get to maybe the biggest shining part of the film, and that is our cast being led by two pretty dadgum famous brothers. And we're going to start with Luke Wilson as Anthony Adams. This is his feature film debut. He was a cast member of the original short film. After this, he is in... Best Men, Scream 2, Bong Water, Dog Park, Home Fries, Rushmore, Blue Streak, My Dog Skip, Charlie's Angels, Legally Blonde, The Royal Tenenbaums, Masked and Anonymous, Old School, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, Legally Blonde 2, Around the World in 80 Days, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, The Wendell Baker Story, The Family Stone, Idiocracy, Blades of Glory, 310 to Yuma in 2007, Concussion, and The Goldfinch. Oh, Luke Wilson. What do we think of Luke Wilson in this film? He's the superior Wilson. In this film? Or just in, in general. Ooh. Now, here's the thing. Luke Wilson can do anything. Owen is a character actor. I'm not shitting on either of them because they're both amazing. But they have two very different lanes. Luke can do anything. He can do quirky. He can be the romantic lead. He can be intense. He can be soft. He can be dopey. He can do all those things. Owen has a very specific lane. And then not shooting on. I love Owen, but part of it is that Owen cannot change his voice. Mm. He has no ability to change his voice. That man is Lightning <laughs> Fucking McQueen, which I fucking love cars. <laughs> I don't think I've talked about my love of cars. I fucking love cars. Cars is great, and I I don't like NASCAR any of that shit. But I love cars. An amazing movie. Cars Two is bullshit. <laughs> He's a different lane. He's just one of those guys. The second he opens his mouth, you're like, that's Owen Wilson. And when he shows up on screen, I'm not shitting on any of his performances. It's just like, that's who you are. It's, it's, it's almost like the Gilbert Gottfried thing. It's just like, you have one voice and it will never not be that voice. I will say, though, that also makes a lot of sense to why he's probably got a little more star power than Luke. Because he's so specific. Yeah, he has that one thing. Like, not the one thing. I'm Again, I'm not shitting on Owen at all. No, I know. I love, I, know. Owen. I love Owen Wilson. But it's just, you put him here, you put him there. He's gonna do that thing over here yeah. in this costume. And that's fine, because he does it very well. He can do that thing, but do it in so many interesting different ways. And with Luke, he's more of a chameleon. He's a little more everyman. He... He's almost like a wallflower sometimes compared to Owen. And it's fine. But it's just he's, I think, acting wise, he's the superior Wilson. I would say this, that it's interesting to see them in this role, that okay. they are perfectly cast as Luke is a very much a leading man yes. in terms of a typecast type actor. That's not to say they can't morph around that. But Luke is a leading man and Owen is a foil. That's where they lie. And that's how they work in this movie. Luke is there to be the central leading figure and be the the character that all of this weirdness revolves around. Yeah. 
you know, Anthony is just the guy who's in this weird situation. He has issues, as mm-hmm. we can clearly tell. Sure. And Dignan is the wildness that flails around him. Yep. Even though Dignan's whole thing is he just wants some love and acceptance. Yeah. That's all Dignan wants, man. And so, like, that's the sweetness in it is that it's just two guys who just want to have some love and be happy and and feel like they're important. Having them together in the same movie, that is one really cool thing is you Mm -hmm. see that play out because they're not usually in the same movie together. (laughs) Yeah. Luke is... Luke is good. I mean, he has to be the straight man in this movie and he have he has to be compelling and he is. Because we start off with the quirkiness. We start off with 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 the quirky guys, which is fine, but then we got to have someone who can tie it all together. And that's and that's who Luke is. He has to be the anchor to this movie. If you don't like him and you don't find Owen, I, I don't know anyone's character name or Dignan, I don't know the actor's <laughs> name. That's where we're at. If you don't if you're not in love with those two guys and think they're super fun, this movie falls apart. And also because the writing's not there for me, the writing was not there for me to really find those two entertaining. For me, it's all about, okay, Luke is navigating this situation with these other guys. That's yeah. really, to me, the through line, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that, you know, but um, movie also remind like part of this reminded me of uh, Airheads in that way. Just like you have you have one guy who has a mission and a plan and you have these wackadoos around him and you're just like, we're just going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. What I love is that it's it's all flipped, though, because the guy who has the plan is also the one who constantly self-sabotages the plan. Absolutely. (laughs) That's what's so great. That's where it's different. And that part is entertaining. I mean, once they got into that warehouse where they're trying to do the robbery, I'm like, this is where it gets really fun. Yeah, part it of- does. Come on. You got what are you doing? What are you doing? Sit down. Man, Come on, I man. You can't get it? No, I could not do it anything. Come on, man. Stop. Will you please put the mask on and turn away? Can't get it on. Dignan, come on. What's going on? Forget it, then. Forget it. Just forget it, man. You can't do it because you never knew how in the first place. You are totally lost. What are you guys doing here? Some of that fun was missing to the other parts of the movie. And I'm just like, how am I stopping like this is this movie's work for an hour and a half. It's a little bit of work, especially that Hillsborough stuff. And the only caveat is Luke with Inez. Oh, God. Anthony and Inez, that whole scene where he follows her while she's doing the stuff. It's like for a while, it's real creepy. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I hate this. And then as it goes on, it ceases to be creepy and just be like, Wow, you're pathetic. <laughs> like, you are beyond comprehension pathetic. Especially when he goes into the room and they're checking out and he starts folding towels and blankets so he can stay with this woman. Uh, he's, he's entertaining, to say the least. Let's talk about his weirdo brother. It's Owen Wilson playing Dignan. Mm-hmm. Also, his film debut. Of course. He, of course, appeared in the short. After this... Oh boy. 
The Cable Guy, Anaconda, Armageddon, Permanent Midnight, Breakfast of Champions, The Haunting, Shanghai Noon, Meet the Parents, Zoolander, The Royal Tenenbaums, Behind Enemy Lines, I Spy, Shanghai Nights, Starsky and Hutch, Around the World in 80 Days, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, Meet the Fockers, The Wendell Baker Story, Wedding Crashers, Cars, Yumi and Dupree, Night at the Museum, The Darjeeling Limited, Drillbit Taylor, Marley and Me, Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, Fantastic Mr. Fox, How Do You Know, Little Fockers, Hall Pass, Midnight in Paris, Cars 2, The Internship, the Grand Budapest Hotel, Inherent Vice, Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, Zoolander 2, Masterminds, Cars 3, Wonder, Loki on television, and he will appear in The French Dispatch. Dude's been busy. Goddamn. <laughs> I forgot about Zoolander. I forgot about Hansel. I oh, forgot. Hansel's so good. I know. Oh, that's one of the, like, okay, this is where he's a character. One of his best ones ever. It's one of the best characters he's ever played. Put it up there with Lightning McQueen. Meet the Parents is good, too. I... I hate Meet the Parents. Fair. I really hate the conceit that anybody would put up with this type of bullshit. It's also why I don't like Everybody Loves Raymond. I was like, no one who hates their in-laws that much would put up with this bullshit. Like, they would be divorced. Adam Scott and Step Brothers was the logical endpoint of Owen Wilson in Meet the Parents. But in the, yes. like, 10 minutes of screen time, God, Owen Wilson's good in that movie. Him and Ben Stiller are fat, are adorable together. They're bros. Also, him against um, Steve Coogan. Like, Night at the Museum is a great movie. The movie's fabulous. We saw that one in theaters. Yeah, we did. We did. This is is before children. And they're just so funny together. Like, they're having a good time. And as a baseball fan, I have to give a shout out to his coach character in Fantastic Mr. Fox, where he has to explain the rules of Whack Whack Bat. We love Fantastic Mr. Fox. Owen's so precious in this movie. I mean, he's bright-eyed, bush-tailed Owen Wilson. <laughs> he's great. He's doing all he knows to do. Well, for sure. And so, like, he, there's places where he should be reined in a little bit. But again, I, I don't really care. And I think it more it has to do more with the writing than anything else. It, it has to do, yeah, it has to do with all of it. What I do think, especially for him, is that there's something about his appearances in Tenenbaums in Darjeeling Limited specifically, which lots been talked about what went on with that. Mm-hmm. He finds, especially in those roles when he's working with Wes, a really deep core within that wild character, mm-hmm. within that I'm going to survive everything and things are going to go right. And like Darjeeling's the best one because he does that same thing yeah. and then it all goes wrong and he loses it. Mm-hmm. In this it's a brief flash of it. We're seeing that little bit. And especially right right before, you know, they leave Hillsboro and, you know, he like stabs Anthony in the face. Mm-hmm. There's something really deep going on within Dignan and that little bit of darkness that when Owen Wilson really gets to shine, it's when he gets to play this type of character mm-hmm. that's so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as to be unable to reconcile with the world and when the world finally comes crashing down he lashes out Mm -hmm. he's so good when he gets to do that he rarely gets to do it and he almost always gets to do it in wes's movies yeah and believable like the writing might be crap but i believe dignan is dignan the whole fucking way through Mm -hmm. i never believed this guy isn't this guy he convinces you that he's he is that just fully committed one hundred thousand percent Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> yeah, he feels just like this is a guy we know, so we just wrote him like him. P- pretty much, 
Well, he is named after one of their friends, Stephen Dignan. Yeah. Who is does have a small role in this movie. They also have another friend named Tenenbaum, who is yeah, where they got, got that name. name from. I mean, um, that's what you, you pull from your life. And if someone's got a cool name, you're like, that's different. We're going with that. Yep. But after the failure at the box office, Owen seriously considered joining the Marines. He thought okay. he had no future in acting after this and actually had no plans to appear in this film. <laughs> that worked out okay for him, though, to stick around. <laughs> he seems to be doing just fine. There was an article where it was like, Owen Wilson is just fine, thank you. And I love it. I love hearing that. You know, especially, I think he's just like, I'm going to do things that are interesting and fun. You can see there's a very distinct, I think it's at, I think it's really after Zoolander was like, oh, I can just be the guy who shows up for 20 minutes in a movie and that's okay. Yeah. Because it seems from that point on, he's just doing shit that looks like fun with people he already likes. And that leads us to our third actor, who I really enjoyed, and I'm a little sad that he hasn't been in more. We have Robert Musgrave playing Bob Maplethorpe. He appeared as Bob in the original short. He hasn't done a whole lot of other stuff, but he's had some small roles in the movie Simone, The Wendell Baker Story, Idiocracy, and Drillbit Taylor. I mean, Idiocracy makes total sense because it's a Mike Judge joint, so it's... Well, and it's Luke. Well, and, and it's Luke's, but like they did all that in Texas. Yeah. Mike Judge is from basically our backyard. So like, I'm just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. These are Texas people. Cool. I just every once in a while, Luke and Owen are like, hey, come be in a movie with us. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know what? Good for him. Oh yeah. It's okay to be friends with famous people and not have to become famous yourself. Absolutely. This is a fun thing I do for a couple weeks every now and then. <laughs> that's great. I love it. But I really like Bob in this movie. <laughs> Bob is cool. He, he is, and he should have gotten more. But back to the writing. Back to the writing. Back to the writing. And also, he might have just been like, this was fun. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I totally get that. But just like, Bob's whole character was so entertaining. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anytime things started to drag, all you had to throw was another wrench from Bob into the middle of the works. Mm -hmm. And like everything was going to go sideways. Yep. He's just going to, you know, he's going to fight because his brother's gone. He, he's got to go home. <laughs> They're going to rob his house at the end. My God, what a perfect way to end the story. It's, it's just the loop is going to keep going in some weird way. And he is the saddest sack guy in the universe. He, he is a sad sack. But, you know, I love that because that is the thing that Wes Anderson does really well with his characters. Is he gives them an identity. And it, it and this is like he's such a sad sack. He's such a sad sack. And he's just like like he's like that droopy dog. <laughs> like everywhere he goes, that's who he is. But that gave him an identity and instantly we say, oh, this guy from from this. like, Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, had he wanted to continue, he could. I, I feel like he could have been amazing. But at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's really cool to see it because he does a great job and he holds his own with those other two. Yeah. Who, you know, those other two are movie stars, real ass movie stars. Saying, they're movie stars now. None of them knew knew shit about <laughs> fuck when they made this film. Nothing. He, he should not be compared to their movie star status at all. Because when they made this film, they were fucking nobodies. Pretty much. They were some brothers from Texas. That's it. Of course, his character is named after the famous artist Robert Maplethorpe. Now we move to Arpons. Oh, my. 
<laughs> we have Ned Dowd playing Dr. Nichols at the beginning of the film. He is a producer and the head of production for Caravan Pictures, which gave us Angels in the Outfield, While You Were Sleeping, G.I. Jane, and Shanghai Noon. Okay. We have Andrew Wilson playing <gasps> Future Man. The, the elder and elusive Wilson. The third Wilson brother. He appears in a handful of movies. He often appears in movies with one or the other. This is the only film in which all three Wilsons appear together. Yeah, he doesn't act very much. The The only other one that I know that is big where he actually has a pretty, not a predominant role, but like he's in the movie for more than five minutes is Whip It. Mm. That's the roller derby film with Elliot Page. And he plays the roller derby coach. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, rem- I remember watching the movie. And I was like, that guy looks so damn familiar. Why do I know this guy? And I was like, Andrew Wilson, who's related to it. I was like, oh, yeah, he has the same face. He's just covered it in a beard. Yeah. It's so funny in this movie because he's such every Austin jock bro or Texas jock bro that's ever beaten the shit out of guys. Oh, yeah. God, him. That's another thing that that we got from Wes in this movie is all the wild action happening in the background of a very yes. quiet scene. Yeah. All that shit where he's beating the crap out of Bob <laughs> and Anthony and Dignan are planning. Yeah, they're having this moment. Lumi Cavazos playing Inez. She is a very well-known Mexican actress that appeared in the starring role in Like Water for Chocolate. Julio Cesar Cerillo, who is the man outside the bar, he's also a well-known Mexican actor. He has appeared in Sicario and Narcos Mexico. James Caan playing Mr. Henry. I mean, he's James fucking Caan. He's James fucking Caan. We've talked about him. We're good. God, he's fun in this movie. He, he's being a little wacky. Like, he's the wacky version of James Caan. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little fun. Kumar Palana playing Kumar also appeared in the Royal Tenenbaums. Antonia Bogdanovich as the girl at the psych hospital. This is the daughter of Peter Bogdanovich, the renowned film director, and Polly Platt, the producer of this film. Okay, cool. And finally, Wes Anderson is a bus passenger seated directly behind Owen and Luke. He is barely visible in the film. Okay. Trivia. Trivia. A solid chunk of this film, as we talked about, was filmed in Dallas. Yep, which we recognized. The Hinkley Cold Storage Building, where the heist takes place, is at 4008 Commerce Street. That is across from Fair Park on the other side of I-30. Mm-hmm. You can clearly see the Ferris wheel in the background as Luke stands up on the platform. The John Gillen residence, serving as Bob's house, is a Frank Lloyd Wright design near Inwood and Northwest Highway. And yes, I looked it up on Google that is named the John Gillen residence, so I'm going with the fact that they make that a public thing, because yep. it's like a big deal house. Grace's school is St. Mark's School on Preston Rev. Mm-hmm. The bookstore robbery was filmed at a store at or near North Park Shopping Center, and there's some other locations in Dallas they don't specify, but it's pretty decent chance that anytime we're in a neighborhood or a city, we're in Dallas. Yeah, like, I, you, there are things that we could just tell, because this is where we're from yep but when they got when it was like the bike riding scene i was like i know where that is i've been there and then what is it and he was like that's saint mark's like yeah it is (laughs) i recognize those columns it's a little weird we could like actually do a bottle rocket tour because the rest of this film there's this movie was made in hillsborough which is not that far from here i don't want to go to hillsborough maybe this would entice you because every summer since 2011, a party has been held at the hotel where a giant chunk of the movie takes place. That's cool. It was originally started by a group called Reservoir Geeks to save it from closure after the economic crisis in 2008. 
Well, that's lovely. Since then, the hotel has been kept alive. It is a Days Inn now. It used to be a Ramada. Okay. And the party is held every year. It is called the Lovely Soiree at the Bottle Rocket Motel. Okay. We're having a lovely soiree. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> I, I would go to that. That would be highly entertaining. I, I could do that. I could do something like that. Like, eh, we'll go to the Wes Anderson party. That's what it is. I'm cool with that. When Anthony shows Dignan his flipbook sketches, it is the first time we ever hear Owen Wilson say, wow, on screen. <laughs> wow. It's pretty good. Then unknown Leslie Mann filmed a role as a Southern sorority girl in a bikini for the film. She talked about having filmed with Wes, James mm-hmm. L. Brooks called her, all this stuff, but the scene was ultimately cut. Yeah, you know, you can't win them all. And finally, the name of the prison at the end of the film is Wasco State Penitentiary, which also just happens to be the last name of production designer David Wasco. Okay. That is it for the trivia of this film. I will say this film did win one award. Mm. Wes Anderson won Best New Director at the MTV Film Awards. Cool. Which makes a lot of sense. I can understand it there, but whatever. (laughs) And that leads us to ratings for this movie. Ratings. We have its own specific rating system Mm -hmm. for this movie. There are lots of very specific options we could go with here. True. Are we going with jumpsuits? I like jumpsuits. Any color jumpsuit? Just just, just whatever suits your fancy. Jumpsuits are in. God bless Dignan. How many jumpsuits are we going to give this movie? Two. Oof. The writing is bad, and I, I don't, don't want to watch it again. I don't disagree that there are problems. I'm giving it a three, and I would watch it again. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I enjoyed myself. I really enjoyed it. There were there are parts I enjoyed, but it just the, yeah. the the you know I think I've I've become old, <laughs> and and through doing all of these, if your writing isn't very good, I just stop caring. Yeah, and it's not just dialogue. I mean, we've we've seen movies that have amazing dialogue, but there's no story. Oh, yeah. We've seen that have great stories, but really shitty dialogue. And that's okay. One of those two things has to compel me. If you've got both, great. I'm a happy person. But I think I've just kind of gotten to a place where it's like, yeah, it's not that interesting. Like, even in the TV that I watch, I'll be watching something like, writing's not very good. Mm. You know, it's just um, something I've noticed about myself over the last few uh, movies we've watched. (laughs) I will say, though, this is... This is one of those movies that will either charm you or not. Like, it very much is. Yes. No, I, I agree. And it's a not for me. What do we watch next time? Well, next time, we're talking about the longest film in the series. It's an epic. Mm-hmm. And it's an epic about people in the 90s in the San Fernando Valley. Okay. We're watching Magnolia. Oh, wow. Okay. I am curious to see how this holds yeah. up for me because I recall it being sort of mind-blowing when I saw it in the past. I remember trying to watch it. Somebody let me bought, let me borrow their v- double VHS because it was on two tapes. It's a long movie. And uh, I don't, I think I turned on the first one and I never paid attention to it. And then I just gave it back to them being like, yeah, I didn't care for it. I, I am both trepidatious and also excited for this one because I've had too many times where movies I thought were really, really great turn out to be not so good. Mm-hmm. But I'm really hopeful that especially based off our experience with Boogie Nights. This one's going to be a real winner. Well, until next time, have a good movie.
listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.